Welcome to the Molding Life Show, where we tell the amazing stories of everyday people that are committed to building a better life for themselves and those around them, and in turn, build generational wealth. In this episode of the Molding Life Show, we covered the topic of problem solving and going back to a solution that works and then using that for your problem solving exercises. And we also talked to a special guest, um, and today's special guest is actually a co-host on the other shows that we do, the Molding Private Practice and the Molding Health Shows, which is uh, Shaz Hatting McPhee. So that's coming up. But um, as I said, I want to use this um, this show to showcase, um, or, or actually as a journal of, of things that are going on at Kitrin and things that are going on from a personal point of view so that um, it could help someone that's actually looking at a similar task um, my name is Oliver Nagio, and um, so in the last week, we launched one of our products. Um, it's actually quite an exciting week because essentially uh, what we've been planning for months has finally come to play, and that was uh, bringing out this product. And, and it was quite difficult, obviously, to do that. Um, I spoke about this some time ago, but um, the first software product we got, uh, I had assistance, and you know we, we did it in a different way. And I, I spent less time on development and more time on business uh, development stuff. Well, more, less time on software development and more time on business development stuff and, and marketing and, and the rest of those things. And that was what we needed at that time. And it was like an amazing way to do it. And when we grew and we obviously didn't need to do as much of the business building things, I said, on my next venture, I would definitely want to get more involved in the software development. And that's exactly what I did this time around. And um, and also looking at all of the things that we did and, you know, how we did it and and trying to do it in, in, in better, if not a similar fashion. And the way I worked on it was almost like a puzzle. You know, you get the, all, you know, the outside uh, puzzle pieces together and and you start building up the solution. And uh, so when we released the first version of the ISO Evolve software, uh, it was with that basis in mind. You know, everything is structurally sound. It doesn't have as much features as we probably would have liked, but um, that was with the time constraints that we had. But the features that we do have, we know will work for our managed service clients and will already start making a huge difference. Um, the difference also that we had this time around as opposed to any one of the other software products we had was we already had a, a list of clients and we already had a team with a need to use the software. So we we essentially testing or, or using the software from day one as it's released, which is amazing. But in this episode, I, I just want to cover something that I struggled with in the last few weeks, which was... Um, and it's basic problem solving, but uh, you know there was this particular aspect of the software that that just didn't want to work, and and for some reason I just couldn't figure out why it didn't want to work. But I found another way that was working, and as soon as I did that, um, it took me a while to figure this out because obviously wrapping my mind again back on the software side. Um, but once I figured out actually the other part was working, I took the you know the the part that was working and I took the part that wasn't working and slowly started incorporating aspects from the part that was working um, or the parts that wasn't working into the part that was working to kind of eliminate or, or trace down 
what was not working. And uh, I eventually did find it. It was not intuitive and it wasn't something that I would have guessed, but um, it was, um, it did work after that. So why am I saying this? Because I think we always come up with problems and, you know, we always have these problems that we need to solve. And I think it's always good to, with a clear mind, if you can, you know, after doing some meditation, if you can just to clear your head and your thinking or, um, or bouncing it off maybe someone else with a clear head. But going back to something that did work and trying to figure out how you could use that, that exercise or that experience with the current thing that you are solving. So this worked from the, from the software development point. It's worked from a business point as well for me in terms of life and, and things that we've struggled with. And you know, just to be able to determine what is not working and you know, how could we get it to work. Um, over the last three or four years, we, we definitely struggled with many things. And lots of it was team-related or, or product um, market fit-related. But we always... We always manage to go through it and figure out a way in which we can reposition things so that we keep on keep on going on the journey that we set out to go on, but at the same time making progress. Um, I tell the team often, you know, sometimes it seems like it's two steps forward and one step backwards. Other times it seems like it's one step forward and two steps backwards. But um, the important point around it is that it is progress and. There will be problems, and one of the the problem resolution techniques should be something like as simple as going to something that does work, or either a model that you can copy that does work, and then trying to figure out how do you get your not working thing into that model, and um, that's the biggest thing I learned um, in the last few weeks, and I wanted to share. I hope that helps. But now let's go on to the um, with uh, go on to the interview with Chess. In this episode of the Molding Live Show, we talk to Chess Hatting McVie. Uh, for those that have been following us, obviously she's my co-host on the other shows and uh, the Molding Private Practice Show and the Molding Health Show. But in this case, we're talking about shares in terms of her own life and her own, own journey and, and just getting some insight in terms of what drives her and what her current aspirations are and how she currently works. Hey, 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 Shaz, how are you doing? Hey, Oliver, good. Thanks. And you, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's kind of weird being on the other side of the, the, the mic, so to speak. But um, I think for... T- for this episode, it's all about you and understanding. So for people and trying to understand, you know, shares as a as a person, um, you know, the history, some of the decisions. And we did a previous episode. Oh, we, we didn't never published it, but, uh, you know, you had your superhero T-shirt on. And I remember that. And we just didn't know how to put that in terms of a good um you know, in terms of good story. And I think that's why the story for Molding Lives makes so much more sense because it's about everyone is important. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone is on a journey. And this is the show where we showcase that. And this is the show where I think people see what drives people to become better and to create a better society and to create a better world. 
And because we all don't do it for the same reasons. And it'll be interesting to hear that. So I'm really looking forward to this. So to kick it off, um, like we do for our other uh, guests on the show, tell us a little bit about yourself from a background point of view and and from a career point of view. All right. So um, the first thing off the bat, you mentioned the superhero shirt. I'm very definitely a self-proclaimed geek. I'm, And I always have been. I mean, from a young age, I was always into kind of the whole superhero mythology, myth and fantasy stuff. But, you know, I grew up in Zim and I grew up in boarding school. And from a fairly young age, I knew that I wanted to, it's a strange thing. I wanted to help people, but I also wanted to be in charge. Um, So for many years as a youngster, I thought, okay, well, to do that, I'll be a lawyer. And unfortunately, you know, by the time I finished school, law school just wasn't on the cards, you know, um, financially, we couldn't afford to send me to university. So I started to move off into different areas. And I wound up, you know, wound up in a company where I started off in their debt collection department and very quickly moved to the point where I was basically in charge of running the debt collection for their product. And, you know, I enjoyed it, um, but I could look at it from a more empathetic point of view. You know, it wasn't a case of people chose not to pay the account, but maybe what was the reason they didn't make payment and from there try and get those payment agreements. Um, And yeah, I've been through all levels of the debt collection industry. When I left GSA, I wound up working for another company where I was actually involved in the repossession of goods, Ah. which is fairly daunting, but apparently I do have quite a intimidating side to me. So it seemed to work. I didn't have any issues with that. But I eventually reached a point where I wanted to be more in the legal side of it and I joined a company called Landau Attorneys, and originally I was issuing Section 129s and Section 57 garnish orders, you know, going out to debtors, explaining to them that they were in default on their accounts and what the process was to get payments with the understanding that, you know, if you defaulted on payment, the next step would be judgment and potentially garnish order, which meant that your creditors could attach portions of your salaries. And it was really an interesting thing to be able to actually go out and speak to people and see what their situation was and to almost be able to come back and say, you know, let's put you on a payment plan and explain to them the consequences if they didn't stay on it. And that's when I began to realize a lot of people actually don't understand the consequences of going into debt. You know, you just assume, okay, well, I'll be blacklisted. It's a lot more dire than that for some people. You know, it goes beyond blacklisting and judgments. Um, There was a huge issue in the country a good couple of years back where people were having their salaries garnished and were coming out at the end of the month with only a couple of hundred bucks because every creditor had just taken a garnish attachment against their salaries. And so the debt collection industry has changed. And from doing garnishing, I actually ran, moved into the customer care call center unit at 
planned our attorneys where we actually spent our entire day on the phone speaking to people to get them to make payment arrangements on accounts ranging from Lancet Laboratories blood tests all the way through to old mutual loans and just, you know, I was the worst when it came to the QA. The QA team hated me because I didn't believe in following the script. And the way I kind of taught my team was listen to what the person on the other end of the phone is saying. And when somebody is telling you, well, I'll pay 2,000 Rand at the end of the month, listen and see and, you know, talk them to an amount that's actually more affordable for them because then you become the guy who's not demanding money, you become the guy or the person who's understanding that they're in a position and is willing to negotiate on their behalf to get them to be able to pay an amount that they can afford. So we had quite a successful collections team in the customer care unit. Um, And I grew from eight agents to about 14 at the time I left. And yeah, just leaving there was more, I wanted something different. You know, I'd done debt collection for the majority of my career. And in between debt collection jobs, I'd basically worked in bars and pubs because, well, I like people. And again, you get to gain that insight with people that eventually realized, you know, settled. And my wife came home one day and said to me, you know, um, her therapist's husband has a company and, you know, he's looking for somebody who has got kind of debt collection experience would I be interested and while I jumped at the offer um, I wasn't happy where I was and that's where I met Oliver on a Sunday afternoon (laughs) and yeah it's definitely not the direction I thought I was going to go in but it's definitely been a direction in the journey that I have enjoyed Um, it's opened up different areas or avenues for me, of things that I would never in a million years have thought, oh, I might actually enjoy that. Um, you know, I'm stubborn and I don't particularly like change, but I am learning that, you know, sometimes change is actually a really great thing. And I'm actually managing to hit the buttons that I wanted to as a youngster. I'm able to help people and I'm able to be in some level of control and be able to guide others to do the same thing and help other people. And I think that's kind of where I found my almost happy space. And with that, I've also discovered a bit of a creative side where, you know, I can actually envision something and start creating it and then see it in action is also really quite interesting. So, you know, your journey changes as you go along, but I think I've definitely hit that. I'm in an industry and a place where, through what I do or what we do, we can help other people become better versions of themselves. Yeah, I, it always amazes me, you know, when I hear your story, because I think, you know, you touched, I'm glad you touched on the the bar part a little, a little bit, and we'll come back to that just now, because life seems, you know, it's not one script. So it's interesting that you mentioned the QA team and, and their script as well. And people, people that think that there's a script and you just get it, you know, you just follow this. There's very few people that are on that level and that do it like that. And I would, I would, it would be interesting for me to see, you know, how happy they are in terms of that stuff, because there's a certain level of, you know, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really try that hard to be able to get to where I am. And even if they did, you know, it was just, 
too easy to have a plan and then get there. I think with your story and definitely my story, it wasn't that way. It was, you know, whatever I thought, you know, the, the, at least with, with me, there was some semblance of a plan, you know, uh, of a plan. But if I look at, you know, if I li- listen to your story, it's it's very different, you know, some of the experience that you've had and things like that. But the one thing I do want to say is, is working with you, I learn a lot also. And I learn about how to maybe approach different people and I learn how to approach the team sometimes. But I think over the years, you know, what I saw from that, that as you said, the Sunday afternoon, from that first shares that I met was the adaptability part. And it's almost like there's nothing that's impossible. And I think that's amazing to see. And, and that you don't, you don't just get. I mean, you either have it or you, you know, it's a, it's a principle or it's part of your DNA, but, but you definitely have that. The other thing that you have is, is probably the client-centric approach. You know, again, you go back to that QA approach. Not many people can do that. And, and you're one of the few people that I trust in front of a client where I know you're going to do the best thing for that client. And, it, and it, you, know, you get validated by that. There's, there's a certain client of ours, and she's, she's told me in multiple times uh, or in multiple conversations that, um, you know, if I could afford shares, I would hire her straight away. And, um, you know, my response is always, you know, good luck with that. Um, because what I do know, it's not just about the salary and it's not just about having someone working for you. You, you really have to give them that environment that helps them to, to thrive. And, and I think that's the one thing that I see at Kitchen for, for you, Shaz, is that you seem to have taken every opportunity and, and we'll go into some of some some of those opportunities because I think it's amazing, you know, to hear the story, um, especially you know because of some of the things I know, you know, about what you told me. But um, in terms of background and schooling and things like that, but but to be able to do some of the things that you're doing is is definitely aspiring to anyone that's on a journey because I mean you're not the you know and that's the reason we have the molding live show is that you're not the healthcare practitioner, you're not the healthcare practitioner that's showing people. Okay, what what is the what is this area of interest? But I think you have an amazing story to tell, and I think you on an amazing journey. And I'm not saying that just because you know you're part of the team at Kitchen. Um, and what we'll see over many episodes is that people have you know various backgrounds, but they all have an amazing story and an amazing journey that they're on. Um, but before we go into that, I, I do want to go back to the bar story because uh, tell me, um, because I know you kind of glossed over that and you just went straight into the legal part. But that, and the reason I say this is, uh, I don't think I've told many people, but now it'll be out in the open, is that when I wanted to go into the whole business side, um, we were quite young and probably, well, when I say young, in our 20s, and uh, we actually bought a nightclub. And for anyone that knows me, knows that, that's not a business you would associate me with it, you know, but it was cool. I mean, like, you know, as, as teenagers, well, not teenagers, I mean, I wasn't allowed to, but definitely in our early 20s, we went to lots of bars and lots of nightclubs. And so when we had the opportunity to buy one, um, I actually went into business with a, with a close cousin of mine, and we kind of jumped at the opportunity, but we didn't realize how difficult that business was. I mean, for us, we went, again, we're coming from a corporate background because we were both in IT. So we went onto our spreadsheet and, you know, we calculated, okay, 200 people come in per night. You know, they each spend, 
you know, our, we we work the numbers based on how much we used to spend. So we, you know, they they each spend like three hundred bucks or you know six hundred bucks per night, and wow, in a month we would be like we would be doing really well. Obviously, it didn't work that way. And I remember one of the club promoters. We were sitting at a pub in no, we were sitting at a coffee shop in Rosebank, and he he, t- he turned to myself and my cousin and he said, "You know, life doesn't." This is not a spreadsheet business. And I still remember that term because I, I love spreadsheet businesses because I can make it to be whatever I want it to be. But he said, this is not a spreadsheet business. Whatever you think is going to happen, it's probably not going to happen. And he was he was really, he was true. And right down, you know, he was completely correct. I can't even, you know, I don't have his contact details to actually go back to him and say, you know, you were 100% right. But uh, he did tell us that, and obviously it didn't work. It, it was successful at the end, but it was a lot of work. And and what I realized from that whole experience was it wasn't something I wanted to do. Um, there was money in it, but it wasn't my type of money, and it wasn't. It was definitely not my type of of business. Um, but tell me about your bar experience. So, look, I've worked in quite a few bars over the years, you know. Um, it was always a fallback thing. Uh, most of my family's worked in hospitality at some point, and, you know, it was a very strong thing of, you know, you didn't sit without a job for long. If you couldn't find a job, you went and you found the local pub or you knocked on all the local pubs' doors and said, you know, do you have a bartending position? Um, and it's something I've enjoyed because, again, you get to meet an entirely diverse crowd of people, but you also get to make quite good friendships and acquaintances through that. But there's also a learning side in working in a bar. I think a lot of people don't actually understand or think about that. You know, a good bartender starts to recognize their clients' cars. You know, the guy's driving in, okay, so it's Paddy. Paddy drinks Hansa. Get the Hansa, get the glass, have it open for him as he walks in. You know, those little things also tend to start elevating you up. But, yeah, it, it, it's long hours and, you know, eventually you do reach the point where, you know, the only way to maintain your cool is to somehow be on the same level as your trunkets because, yeah, you're going to hear the same story 4,000 times in the space of a year, but it can also be really, really rewarding. You know, I got to work at a venue where we did quite big concerts and, you know, I met a couple of guys from international bands and, you know, so you do get those different experiences depending on where you're working, but it's not always that glamorous. You know, you start at eight in the morning and it's stock take. And, you know, you've got to know what's in your fridge, what sells, what doesn't sell. Um, You know, if you've got a shooter list of 30 shooters, you need to know how to pour each one of those at a dime. You know, when it's busy and you are not layering your Springbokies on Springbok Saturday, trust me, you're going to get somebody upset. Um, so there is a lot of that, you know, do you have enough glasses? Do you have enough staff for a busy day? So you really do have to start thinking of stuff like that. But then again, you know, I always said I was never great at mathematics, but I was okay at arithmetic. So yeah, you could 
ring up around in your head and go to the guy and say, this is what you owe before actually putting it on the tool. So that was, but yeah, it does become tiring. It does become um, time consuming, but it can also be so much fun. Um, I think the, uh, one of the only reasons I probably left working in the bar was because you reach a point where you kind of go, okay, I do now need to grow up. I can't be working double shifts and late at night and, you know, earning money daily and drinking and partying, you know, at some point you need to kind of settle down into a career. <laughs> That's kind of where it went. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I do miss it sometimes. And, you know, I miss being able to sit there and think of, okay, well, what kind of events or promotions can we run to get people in? Um, you know, karaoke's not working at the moment. Maybe we should try this or let's have a look at that. But, you know, I don't miss the late nights. I, I, I can't help but smile as well when I think about it. And, you, you know, the one thing also that I found on, on really good nights is a lot of happy but also drunk people around. But, you know, there's definitely the whole happiness aspect because when they get there, almost everyone is either down or they, you know, they, they, they're looking for that break um, or that change. And uh, I know for us as well, even when I was in IT and I was working as a developer in the early days of my career, and we would just go to a pub after work to unwind and relax. And obviously five hours later, we're still there relaxing and unwinding but you know it's like you know by the end of the night you're pretty happy and it's part of the alcohol you know that's there but um you know people are happier um especially and and to see that i think it was was quite cool so you always have to take the you know the, the positives with the negatives but it is a very different type of environment very different type of of clientele very different type of setup but I also learned a lot. I mean, I learned about logistics, you know, so something as simple as how do you get, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the thing about the spring bucks. So our story was on the one night and I think it was close to opening night, you know, probably the next weekend. Or, and we came up with this brilliant idea. When I say that, I would, you know, you can put as much sarcasm on that as you want to. Came up with this brilliant idea that we'll give tequila at one buck a shot or something. Obviously that didn't work out well for us because all of the tequila was out. And more importantly, within two hours, everyone was out, you know? And so it wasn't a, an amazing night from that perspective, but we never ever did that again, you know, don't do that stuff. Um, so, and then the other thing I learned, I mean, when I think, when I'm thinking about it was, you know, something as simple as how do you get, you know, the, the, the empties or the, the rubbish out. And it was, you know, because I, you know, as a patron, I never, I never, I never saw it. But you know, as as someone that's running the logistics, that's actually quite an important aspect. And I remember in the first few nights, you know, we we struggled with that concept because we had to re almost like rethink the entrances and stuff like that. Is you know to make it as seamless as possible and to give everyone you know the best experience possible. Um, so it was lots of learning experiences around that stuff. But let's switch gears and talk about you doing coding now. So we go from bar to coding, and and that's the that's the journey part that I'm I'm talking about. It's like who you know, unless you at a bar, you know, this is not a conversation that we should normally be having. But tell me a little bit about Shaz doing coding. 
So, you know, over the last few years, I've kind of looked at the software that we've been putting out and looked at kind of what clients are asking for. And last year, I started dabbling in, you know, building websites on WordPress using themes and so on. But every time, even if you're working on WordPress, there's always this thing that says, you know, editing custom CSS or, you know, edit an HTML. And so, you know, I started, what is this? And that's kind of where it started of, you know, all software is built at some point on code. So how do I make the websites that I'm building look better? Okay, well, maybe we can overlay some coding in there. And that's kind of where yeah, it started. And look, don't let anybody think I'm saying coding is easy. It's not. Um, I was as happy as, you know, three fat pigs the other day when I could put four blocks onto a blank page using code and color them in different colors. But it does help on that building side, that, that whole option of, you know, being able to take an idea, put it down and actually start to create it and see it come to life. Um, and that for me is really quite cool because ideally down the line, it means that I can get a lot more involved in bringing features out for clients or bringing features out that will make the soft, the softwares that we sell better. Or even if it's just as simple as being able to give a client a website that they look at and go, okay, yeah, that's that's me, that's my brand, that's, and that comes down to, you know, just kind of learning. And I'd always been one of those people, I did really, really well at school, but was never a sit down and study or sit down and try and figure it out kind of person. And in the last three years, I'd say, I've definitely spent a lot more time sitting down and trying to figure it out. I think the first website that I built, I think I did about 87 revisions of the first page. You know, how do I do this? How do I do that? Now I can whack a site out fairly quickly and it looks good. So the next step from there was, you know, how do I, how do I level up on that? And that's kind of where coding came in. And yeah, I've just completed the um, intro to view mastery using the Vue.js app. And yeah, it, it, it's a short course, but man, it took me a month. Um, because, you know, although the, you know, although the lesson's 10 minutes long, you know, it took 10 minutes to listen to it. You know, then you go back through it again. You've got to keep pausing to, okay, how do I do this? How do I do that? And the one thing I learned with code is a space in the wrong spot or a dot instead of a comma or the wrong bracket and everything's broken. And then you've got to go and try and figure out how to fix it. So I am really enjoying the coding side of it. And yeah, it was never something I thought I would get into, but I'm liking the creative side, that being able to build something from nothing. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing about coding is that it's unforgiving. I think that's what you were saying now, is that it's either right or wrong. And I think this is something, you know, we keep on talking about as a team. It's it's almost like getting it perfect, you know. It's like uh, doing doing the best work that you can because you you know you you have to get it hundred percent right. You know that's you know that's the level that we want to play at. And if something is not right, you know the feedback mechanism is almost there. It's just 
it's not going to do what you said it's going to do. That's just not going to happen. I think the other thing about coding um, that for me still, you know, I gravitate towards it. And, and that's kind of the journey that I'm on now is that, you know, with the first software product that we had, we I didn't get involved in as much of the coding because, you know, you can't be doing coding and also building the business and doing client demos. And at that time, it was only me that's doing it. Fortunately, now we have a team where I don't even get involved, you know, from from the product point of view for that particular product anyway, from a client point of view. But for the other products that we kind of came up with, you know, I wanted to get a lot more involved in the coding and the the development side of it. And, it, and it's because of this reason. It's the one thing where you create something and people use it and they get value from it. So, you know, I go back to the bar experience as well. It's no different except this is a lot more, you know, it has a different manifestation, but it's about creating a value, creating an experience and people paying for that. You know, they, they vote with their money. And when I see the amount of people that log into our servers or log into our software and say, actually, and at the end of the month, you know, pay us more than they normally pay on cell phone contracts. You know, it always amazes me. And that's the value part that, um, you know, I get out of the whole software development part because I, I feel like we, we're actually creating something of value and um, and people vote for that and people, you know, we make lives better by doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, coming back to 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 what you said in terms of um, of going into coding, you know, what was interesting for me was oh, the one time when you were saying that you weren't that good at maths, you know, like growing up in school. And but but whether you were good or not, that was that seemed to be a consensus. And I would say that almost doesn't make any sense because you can't do coding because all that maths teaches you, it's it's about patterns. And I don't think anyone's ever told us that, you know, but but it's about learning the patterns. And, you know, because maths doesn't change, you know, it doesn't change a lot. And so you need to understand the patterns, you need to learn the patterns, but it's it's just like coding because it's like, it's either right or it's wrong. And the other thing that, um, and that's why I knew that, you know, you would, probably take to it is that you're a good gamer you know you you stick with a game and you tell me about you know spending 200 hours on you know assassin's creed valhalla but you know that's a long time to stick with something and just get it right and i think that's you know you you can't teach that you know you either have it or you don't and and if you do have it there's no reason why i firmly believe this there's no reason why you can't pick up a new skill and do something different. Um, there's no reason why, even right now, it doesn't matter what what your age is or my age, is if I wanted to become an attorney or you wanted to become an attorney, there's a way that you could do that. You know, there's there's ways and means. So I'm a big believer in that, and and that's the one thing I did see is that um, although you said you know you're never good at maths, I never believed that because everything told me opposite to that is because all of your experience shows that you are actually good at patterns. You are good at remembering things. You are good at at solving problems because that's what a game is. You know, especially a game at the level of Assassin's Creed, because you have to do a lot of manipulation and strategy and figuring things out in order to finish the quest. Um, so, have you found lots of the mindset thing around gaming helping you at the moment? Oh, very definitely. You know that same mindset of 
you sit and try and get it 100% and, you know, you're going to go into that fort and die 300 times before you figure out, <laughs> go in from that side and take this oak out first. It, it's very much the same in coding. You know, you're going to get it wrong 300 times and all of a sudden it's going to click and go, that's what you need to do. And when you get that right and, you you know, you defeat the you know you defeat the base or encoding you know you get it right and it pops up on your screen you're like yes <laughs> it elicits the same kind of feeling of okay yeah we've got this now um a friend of mine shannon her and i were playing it was one of those fighter games injustice um gods among us and we were on one of these timed quests and i'll never forget i think we played we played the whole night one saturday we just could not defeat Aquaman. And it was the last guy to get the prize. And man, we must have, I think we must have spent about six hours trying to defeat the guy. And eventually just something said, change your character. And that it was as simple as that. We walked into the next battle and boom, Aquaman was down. It was like, and that's exactly what coding is. You know, you've done this, you've done this, you okay, hang on, maybe we should change that. And then it works. And you're like, awesome. So, yeah, very much gaming and coding do go hand in hand. They have that same sort of tenacity of, you know, I'm just going to keep doing this and trying something different until I eventually figure out which one is wrong. And they don't do that one. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. The, the most annoying thing I find is you go down this rabbit hole and you think you're almost there and you're not, you know. So, again, going back to your gaming analogy there. And I remember, as you said, you know, you finished up these courses and I told you, you know, I did as well, but I almost never used it. And, and that is quite depressing as well when you think about it. It's like, but all you're doing, you know, again, I, if I use the gaming, ex, you know, analogy is that you're just picking up experience. You know, all you're doing yeah. so that on the next one, you've already got that experience. And then, yeah, it's just a different sword or it's a different character. And um, there's no way that Aquaman is going to stand in your way. And that's what I found. So, and you, you need a certain mindset around that. You know, I see with our little boy, I mean, he gives up so quickly. I mean, you know, he, he does these code camps at the moment. But as soon as he comes up with the first problem, it's like, it gives you that look. It's like, you know, I need help. It's like, no, you don't need help. You just need to figure out how to do it again. But it, it there's something about that. And, uh, you know, video games have always been in my life. And I've, I've learned a lot from them. Uh, I've spent a lot of money on them, um, you know, especially as a, like, as a young child. But, um, but it was worth it. I mean, I, I would never be and have the skills that I have now without uh, going through that type of experience. So I definitely enjoy it. The other thing with coding, and I think, you know, we can relate this to anything, but I remember this business partner and a good friend of mine, you know, I know him for over 20 years, but he told me this uh, seven years ago. And he said, you just learn something new every single day. You know, just take a take a book, you know, take a like a software development book or whatever it is, just learn one new thing. And over a year, you know, you've built up experience. And I never forget that. And that's something, you know, I do from a business point of view every single day now. It's, we just move the needle a little bit forward. 
And the most important thing is just be honest with yourself and be honest about what you're getting. You know, I keep on saying the data doesn't lie. You know, if you keep on hitting your head and you're not getting the one aspect, just don't do that. You know, just go down another quest because that one is not working. You know, maybe come back to it in a month's time. But we've done this so many times in the last four years, you know, where we go down this rabbit hole and everything seems to point that this is the way it should be. And then the data changes or the clients change or the experience changes or something. And we just have to be brave enough to listen to that and, um, you know, and to go with it. Um, the other point Shaz, I want to say about you is that from a client-centric point of view, I've said it in previous discussions as well, but clients trust you and that's amazing. And you can, you know, we, we spoke because this is the other aspect to Shaz, which I found amazing because when we sat on that Sunday afternoon, we didn't talk about sales. We didn't talk about coding. We didn't talk about client management. You know, we just spoke about debt collection because at that point I really had a need for someone to help me around the whole unpaid management debt collection, someone with experience. And, but what I found over the years is you're a really good salesperson and we've had, we've had salespeople and you would, you know, your results were way above, you know, anyone else. And can you tell me a little bit about that? Did you always have that? Or how, how did you become so good at, uh, at sales and, and more importantly, clients trusting you because trust is a very you know, important part to sales. You know, they have to know you, they have to like you, and they have to trust you. And if you don't have any one of those three, you're not going to get the sale. But you've, you've managed to do that. Um, I would say I'm not a good salesperson as well, but you know, my, my track record as well has been pretty decent in terms of sales, not, not just now with, you know, with our companies, but also from a corporate career point of view. Um, we've had salespeople at the packaging and automation company, but, you know, one of the biggest deals or some of the biggest deals that we closed was just myself and the MD, you know, where we closed those deals. That was without any salespeople in the room, without, you know, any of the sales management, which I thought was, was pretty interesting as well. So tell me about sales and shares. You know, again, it's, I don't look at myself as a salesperson, um, but I do kind of look at myself as a people's person. And, you know, if, if I equate it back in school, I probably had about two really close friends, but I was friendly with almost everyone, you know, and just growing up like that, especially growing up in boarding school, you kind of realized that, you know, you needed to have each other's backs. And I think from there, even as I grew up and, you know, kind of became an adult and started spending time in different environments, I always tend to get to know a person a little bit and open up a little bit of who I am to a person. And yeah, you know, Ashley always jokes and says, you know, I've got hundreds of friends and I always giggle and say, actually, I, I have two really good friends still. Most of everyone else I know is, you know, an acquaintance or, you know, kind of a friend, but it's because I, it's that listening thing. I think, you know, you sit down, you kind of listen, get to know the person a bit, open up a little bit about yourself and really just walk them through the process. Um, and again, even if we look at some of the sales that I have closed, it wasn't see the person today, close the deal today. It's be it's a, it's a process, you know. 
help how do you help somebody give them a little bit of value here um check in there and just actually show them who i am and i think in that kind of you know being more help centric i think that's also why i succeeded so much in debt collection or in bartending was i took a little bit more of an interest in the person than in the process um and when we first started with the managed service side of things a lot of those practices you know for me it was like it was my responsibility to make sure that this practice ran and it ran smoothly so you got to know the practitioner really well knew their clients and just building that relationship and i think that's exactly what sales is it's about building a relationship you know uh you actually said it really well a couple of weeks ago you said it it's like dating you know on that first date everybody's kind of a little bit awkward and you're getting to know each other but you're not you know on the second date you're a little bit more open and as you go through the relationship eventually it goes okay well now i want to go steady and that's the way i view sales is you know you're going to go on a couple of dates and you know maybe you're going to go for dinner or watch a movie or you know and eventually the question's going to come of okay so do you want to go steady and that's exactly for me what that process is it's never a you know first date tonight and tomorrow we're married yeah i like that analogy and um, so i think the you know i'm i'm really enjoying watching the journey that you on obviously because you know we we speak to each other almost every day and and just seeing you know because everything's changing i mean it's it's never roses i mean we constantly making changes we constantly do doff things and um and and it's just about like learning from that and just you know figuring out okay how do we do this different uh, the one thing that we do have is we we have a journey that we believe in you know we, we've got a big team now and you know every everyone seems to be on the same you know believing in the same journey and i think that's why whenever we have wobbles with clients or we have wobbles you know like in terms of how we approaching things it's quite easy to see the vision through it because we go back to our grounding principles and and i think i'm i'm really amazed to see some of the things that you're doing at the moment and seeing the journey that you on and um and yeah just seeing how you progress through it because um you kind of one of the reasons why you know we decided or we came up with the whole molding lives um show is is because to tell those stories because i don't believe that you just have to be a business owner or a real estate investor or a billionaire to be able to have a really cool story so i'm interested to see how that uh, goes on but um in closing um is there anything else that we missed that you think would be would be interesting to know about no i think we've pretty much covered kind of who i am and the journey so far i mean there's definitely more to come um the journey's definitely no when you're over and yeah you never know what what's going to come down the road on the next step uh one of the favorite one of my favorite sayings is from the lord of the rings you know um walking out your door is a dangerous thing frodo you put one foot in front of the other and you never know where you end up and that's exactly the way i kind of view things is that you know your journey is going to have ups and downs and it's going to go in directions that you might not have envisioned but i think 
at some point, the choices that we make kind of tend to lead us to where we should be anyway. And yeah, we'll see how it goes. Okay, amazing. Uh, so I think we would be missing the opportunity if I didn't also ask you one more thing as I was thinking about it, because I remember in the last conversation, you we actually had the, you know, we had some of your, um, your, um, the superhero statues, you know, around. And so I do want to say that because that is a key part of your, you as a person as well, is you're a huge Comic-Con fan and superhero fan. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then I promise then we're closing it off. So, so look, I, I've always been into collectibles, um, but having going to Comic-Con and Geek Fest and Icon Festival and all of that, the one thing that I'd always kind of said as a youngster was I didn't want to have all these units of knickknacks like my aunt or my gran or anyone. You know, I wanted, if I was going to decorate my house, it had to be decorated really cool. So it started off by buying artworks from comic book artists like Warren Lowe um, and then a couple of other really good artists that I liked and picked up a Comic-Con. But throughout the years, I've been building a collectible statues collection. And eventually we found someone who could custom to build a cabinet for me to actually be able to display some of these statues in there. And that arrived earlier this year and took about three hours to unbox all the statues and align them into this cabinet so that they kind of had space there. And well, the cabinet's full and I'm having to now go back to the guy and say, okay, I need you to build an section for it now. <laughs> but, nice. you know, it, it is also... For me, you know, everybody kind of, a couple of people kind of say, you know, you, you've spent this money on something that's behind glass. You can't touch it. You can't play with it. You know, whatever. I'm having a bad day. I just need to walk into my house, look at my cabinet, look at my, you know, limited edition Iron Man statue and go, you know what? I actually feel good just looking at it. <laughs> that's it. Um, and it's really cool that I have a wife who's also into kind of all the, geeky stuff i mean you know so then i can have the harry potter pillows and i can have the game of thrones artwork and you know she's got a collection now of i think as of saturday 23 harley quinn um collectibles so whether it's statues or funko pops um and yeah, the last Comic-Con I went to was for me the, the, and i said going in if they've got a fat thaw i'm buying it and I got myself a fat thaw. That was. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I dig my statues. Um, I dig my artwork. I'm always looking out for, you know, I've got a couple of artists that I tend to follow. And, you know, if there's something that I really like from them, then yeah, my walls are all kind of superheroes or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad I asked the question because you can see that passion kind of come out of that. And and that's very important because I think everyone needs to have that. You know, it's not about just watching Netflix. I mean, although that could be a passion, but, you know, I'm just saying, you know, it's nice to it's nice to be interesting. You know, it's nice to have those things. And I think, you know, by by having that, you know, you just 
definitely show that. And, and that's probably something that clients pick up on. But, you know, it's not a single aspect that makes makes you as a person. And I think there's multiple aspects that, that drive decisions and and make you the person who you are and where you are currently and and where you want to be. So, like I said before, I'm very interested to see where that goes. And I want to thank you. I mean, I, I think this has been an amazing episode. Um, and also, I mean, you know, it's something that you can reference. You know, when someone wants to learn about who Shaz Hatting McVie is, you know, this could be an episode that they say, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I actually quite like Shaz's story. You know, it's just, it's someone that I would like to work with or be part of the journey with as well. And uh, like you said, with friends, yes, not all friends are close friends, but, you know, the people that are around you, you don't have to be talking to them every single day or every single week or every single month or even years. But when you do get together, it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I do find that with clients, you know, there's there's a client, you actually took the, the the meeting with her, but, you know, I haven't spoken to her for years, but she was one of our first few clients. But even after many years, you know, she sends me a WhatsApp message saying, you know, our circumstances have changed. And I would really like, uh, you know, to have a conversation to talk about what that means. And we were able to come up with a solution for her. And that was that was a good feeling. It was an even better feeling that I knew at that stage that I didn't have to make the decision. It was, you know, it was yourself that had, you know, that had the conversation and could come up with a solution for her. Because from a from a business point of view, that's what that that's what we need. We need we need a business that's not just dependent on one person, not just for ourselves, but for our clients as well, to be able to believe that, you know, it's bigger than just one person. Because if that one person is not there, then there's a problem. Um, so thank you for that. And let's leave it there. Um, anyone else, you know, they, you can catch you on one of our other shows and, um, yeah, thanks for this. Thanks very much, Oliver. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.